Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole, And on this episode, this is, I'm just super hyped for this one right here because uh, I'm an original hip-hop kid and there was an artist that came out that really, one of the first artists to really change the game, but also an artist to inspire so many generations of MCs, Mr. Big Daddy Kane. Wow. And actually... Kane, you know, I talk about this, we're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop, and you're from Brooklyn, and uh, you know, hip-hop kind of started in the Bronx, and then we had all of this Queens energy happen, but you were really one of the first major forces to come out of Brooklyn. Talk about just being a a kid growing up in Brooklyn and New York City and all of the energy of hip-hop happening around you and how it inspired you. I got my first dose of hip-hop, I would say, in the year of 1977 going to a block party, hearing a DJ by the name of Master D playing. And he was rocking the block party, but um, he threw on Love is the Message. And the way he was, you know, cutting it up, backspinning, I'm just sitting there like mesmerized. And then I saw, I want to say about 20 people, like in what looked like a welfare line, you know? And they were all waiting to get on the mic and everybody got on the mic and they started spitting rhymes and this went on for probably about a good 15 minutes off of um just love is the message yeah you know and when he went to playing another record they all just dispersed and you know it was like i was like yo this energy is crazy and from that point on, I was hooked. I wanted to go to every block party where this type of vibe was happening, where they're cutting up the disco breaks and rappers are rhyming. And I fell in love right there. I was nine years old. Wow. Yeah. So you're watching this energy happen around you. You're starting to catch that buzz. So did you start then just rhyming all the time, anytime you could do it as a preteen? Did you start battling folks? What was it? What was your goal, you know, your lane? for becoming Big Daddy Kane? Well, because it seemed like the element of DJing was the more popular thing. Yep. And yeah, I I guess basically because the element of DJing was the more popular thing, I wanted to do that. That's what I gravitated to. So my uncle bought me some turntables and I started DJing, I want to say around 1980. Okay. And I was sticking to it. I was, you know, getting, you know, fairly decent. But then someone broke into my grandmother's house and stole my turntables. (laughs) Yeah. So um, that kind of ended that. And then my cousin, the same cousin that took me to a block party in 77, he started rapping. And he was like an older cousin I looked up to. So I was like, I'm going to try it to get down with him. And he told me that I was too young. And he was rhyming with these other two guys from around the corner. So I started writing battle rhymes. I figured if I could beat the other two dudes, he'd put me down with his crew. Right. So I started writing battle rhymes, and I battled the other two guys and his crew. And, you know, I came back. I was like, yo, I beat O and I beat Spence. Can I be down now? And he said, um, I'm not rapping no more. I'm playing football. 
<laughs> so uh, that left me alone, you know, and I just started, I just kept with it and kept doing it on my own. So let's talk about your name, Big Daddy Kane, because it's it's a it's a mixture of a couple of different things and based around television and movies. So let's talk about Big Daddy Kane. Where did that come from? Well, originally I was just using MC Kane. Yep. And um, the Kane part came from the um, David Carradine char- character in a TV show, Kung Fu. Because my fascination for, um, you know, Kung Fu theater, you know, Saturday, 3 o'clock, you know, Sunday, 1 o'clock, I'm in front of the TV. I don't care what's happening. Like, we could have been in the middle of a game of um, Red Rover, Red Rover, Red Light, Green Light. You know, 3 o'clock, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So when they knew I was out, you know, other kids, you know, they like, oh, okay, we just lost Bruce Lee, you know. We just lost Young Grasshopper. We just lost Kane, you know. And out of the three names, I kind of like Kane better than Young Grasshopper and Bruce Lee. So I used MC Kane, you know. So then you um, had a connection and a relationship with Biz Marquis. And talk a little bit about, about that because Biz was uh, – doing his thing and then he ended up getting a record deal as you on the same label but but you and biz together was the first part of this yeah 1984 i was still a local battle rapper going around different projects in brooklyn battling mcs and my cousin was dating this guy from long island from central iceland and he'd always come around talking about biz marky this biz marky that always tell me about this dude i was yep. sick, of, sick of hearing about right. him. so one day he told me you know, that Biz is in the Albee Square Mall. And I was like, okay, can you take me to him? So he took me in the mall. And, you know, as we was getting closer, I was like, all right, I'm going to ask your man for a battle. And after, from this point on, I don't want to hear nothing about this dude no more. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He introduced me. I asked Biz for a battle. We battled. And after the battle, he said, yo, man, you real dope, man. You should get down with me. Like, I be doing a lot of shows in the Bronx, Harlem, Long Island, and I guarantee you if you get down with me, I'm going to get you a record deal one day. And I, you know, I had never performed. All I did was just go to projects and just battle people or block parties and battle people. I'd never performed before. So I'm like, okay, cool. And we started doing shows. Uh, we was doing a lot of shows for these um, guys called Mike and Dave. They used to give a lot of parties in the New York area, and they would pay opening acts um, as much as $50. But the, the, the $50 was always in singles. <laughs> so, But $50 was a lot in 84, 85, yeah. bro. That was, that was good money. Yeah, but, you know, riding home, you know, yeah. 3 o'clock in the morning yeah, yeah. with a knot of money, but it's yeah, all singles. That's true. That is yeah, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. All singles. So, yeah, I guess somewhere in the mix there, MC Kane wasn't only my rapper name, it was also my stripper name. <laughs> <laughs> so you did a song with Biz called Just Rhyming with Biz. Um, yeah, what happened was, um, well, first, what, when he had the idea of yeah. Make the Music, he came to me and asked me to write it for him. And I didn't understand because he was beatboxing and I was rapping. Right. So I'm like, Tom, don't you mean... You want me to write a rhyme for me to say about you making the music, and yeah. then you make the music with your mouth? Right. And Biz said, okay, Kane. I ain't see him no more. Wow. <laughs> he just vanished. I ain't see him no more. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> like, you know, months later, um, the song came out. 
You know, I, I guess he wrote it on his own or whatever, but the song came out. But then he came back and he said, um, I got an idea. I want to use the Nobody Beats the Wiz jingle and say Nobody Beats the Biz. And I want to create this new style where I just be like, you know, that's the way he he do it. Yeah. So this time I wasn't messing up. I was okay, Biz. Whatever you want. Right. And by the way, nobody beats the Wiz in New York City. The Wiz is sort of like Best Buy. You know, it was like the spot. Yeah. And the commercials were all over the TV. Nobody beats the Wiz. So that was a brilliant like repurpose of something local exactly. in New York national, but go ahead. Yeah. So after I did that, uh, we, like he started doing shows and he took me out on the road with him to perform in the middle of his show. And sure enough, you know, he ended up getting me signed to cold chilling records as well. And that's where it all started. And cold chilling was really like you had Def jam and cold chilling were two of the big artist driven hip hop labels and cold chilling was just an amazing roster because, you know, you had the likes of Cool G Rap, Biz, you. I mean, it was just Roxanne Shantae, Shantae. MC Shan. But talk a little bit about the symphony because I feel like the symphony was just a moment where it's just we knew who you were, who you was, but that particular record was just iconic for that time. After I did Raw. Right, your first song. Yeah, when I did Raw that same night, me and G-Rap, I had G-Rap with me, and me and G-Rap just rhymed over the beat again. Mm-hmm. And Marley would play it with me and G rhyming over the, the, the track to Roar. And people you know, would call up the WBLS, which is the radio station Marley spent on, and request a song on the radio. Yo, can we hear the, the Kane and G-Rap version of Roar? They would call him. So uh, Marley said, hey, I want y'all to do this same thing, but on my album. So... It was a song that me and G-Rap was supposed to do together. Craig G got wind of it, and he said that he wanted to be on it. So Marley asked me, could Craig, and I just heard this new song from Craig called Duck Alert, where he was dissing DJ Red Alert. And I'm like, damn, Craig came a long way from Transformers. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, he's spitting hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, Craig can be on it. Yeah, and in all transparency, at that time, there was a radio sort of beef between Red Alert and, and Mr. Mr. Mag- Magic. Yeah. They were on two different radio stations, but really the only sources for hip-hop in America really at that moment. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, then at that point, it became me, G-Rap, and Craig. And then the day we was taking the photos for Marley album shoot is the day that we actually recorded the symphony. And we got to Marley Crib that day, and Marley said that this is his new artist, Master Ace, and he wanted to put him on the song. And Ace, like he had these big Woody Allen glasses on. Yeah. So I went to G-Rap, and I'm like, I'm not messing with glasses. I'm out. I'm about to say <laughs> I'm going to get some pizza, and then I'm bouncing. And G-Rap's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not messing with him either. I'm, I'm, I'm out too. You ain't leaving me. I'm out too. So we would get ready to leave, and I don't know what held us up, or sometimes it might have been some, might have been a discussion about who gonna go first on the song, something like that. Right. And then Ace ended up going, and he spit. And I turned to G. I was like, "Your glass is kind of nice, you know." Yeah, and I wasn't, you know, I was, I was comfortable then. And um, I'm glad he was a part of the song. Actually, I'm glad he was a part of the Juice Crew because, like, Ace was that bonding guy. He he was the guy that really envisioned and he envisioned everyone working as a unit. Yeah, you know, that was his mind. He was a college student too at the time. 
That's probably what I'm glad for. So yeah, yeah, he was, he was. I think he went to the University of Rhode, Rhode Island. Is where he was going. So he was trying. He was doing a rap thing while he was trying to finish uh, finish ed- education. But let's rewind, King, just a little bit because Raw was your first song that we heard, and then it was a symphony. Not, no, not, not, not actually. What was the first song? Just rhyming with Biz. Just rhyming. Okay, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Just rhyming with Biz. But Raw was like that that moment record that was no, just that's like the breakout. Yeah, the breakout. Yeah. So talk about just. The first time you heard your song on the radio, where, where were you and what was that like for you growing up in New York? You knew about Mr. Magic, you had Red Alert, and then your song is on the radio. Me and my boy Mad Money Murph, we was at another one of our um, schoolmates, Brownstone, brother by the name of um, Lou. We were all hanging out on the steps one night and heard, world, world, Pamir, Mia, Mia. That's how Mr. Magic Mr. used Magic. to you know, play a new song. And he dropped the Just Rhyming with Biz, and we went bananas on the step, then ran to the corner. I don't know, we bought about maybe like 640s or OE. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just became a celebration, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. I mean, it, it was like, yeah, I felt like, like, y'all remember that scene from the Five Heartbeats? Duck, our song on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> that mood, you know? But as it was playing, and since, you know, Red Alert didn't really consider me part of the beef between BDP and Juice Crew, yep. he was playing it as well. Yeah, yeah. So it was And Red Alert was 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 really the premiere. He was the first one on the radio. So he was like... Nah, Magic. Magic was first? Magic. M- M- magic. Uh, Rap Attack was? Okay. Yeah, Magic right. was first. Okay. And then when um, they tried to force Magic to play R&B, he went back to um, HBI, and then that's when uh, Kiss hired... Red Alert, Red Alert. Okay. and BLS realized their mistake and brought Magic back. But Magic was first. Wow. McDonald's is not new to chicken, so maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm learning yeah. today. So you get your record on the radio. Yeah, I'm, I'm just rhyme with business, playing on the radio, but I'm sitting at home broke because everybody, all the promoters think it's a biz song. Because biz start off first and biz is already an established artist. Nobody knew who the hell I was. So I'm home broke. Me and, you know, school blubber, we still got to steal cans of shrimp and Mrs. Paul's fish stick from the supermarket just to eat. And that would be your dancer, correct? Because, you know, not getting no money. Because everybody thought that it was Biz song. So our fly tie who ran Cold Chillin' Records, I'm begging him constantly, please, man, let me put out a new song. Please let me put out a new song. He's like, nah, there's still life in this. There's still life in this. So, I mean, this went on for months. And then finally he just gave in and was like, you know what, go ahead. And then that's when we recorded Raw. And that's the, the main reason why I started off saying, here I am, already done. Because I felt like finally my Your turn. moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Long Live the Cane, your debut album. 
And then the summer of 88, Ain't No Half Stepping, which was just still an iconic song. Talk a little bit about putting that song together and how were you reacting to how fast it moved and the reactions that you were getting, not just out of New York, but all over the country from that song. I don't know if I ever told this story in an interview, but um, the day that I got the beat for Ain't No Half Stepping, two iconic songs came that day. Okay. I had went over to, because on... Biz used to live with Cool V, his DJ. Yep. And I went over to Cool V house just to hang out, and there was a little paper bag. And I asked Cool V, yo, these you some new records? He was like, those Biz records, some stuff that he just that he bought. So I'm like, let's go through them. So we going through them. And then I hear the song from The Emotions, The Blind Alley, you know, which was the beef I ain't no half-stepping. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is hot. So Cool V looped it up in the mixer, and I start writing. Biz is not there. Biz calls, screaming, I found it, I found it, I finally found it. I'm telling you I'm going platinum with this. Because there's this song that he had been looking for for like about a year and a half. And we like, you found what? I, I found it. It's Freddie Scott. You, um, you got what I need. I'm telling you I'm going platinum. Wow. So I'm like, so since you are happy about that, then you probably don't mind if I take this here blind alley off your hand. You can have that. I don't give a you know, sugar honey iced tea about that. <laughs> so that day, he gave me the beat to Ain't No Half Stepping, and he found the beat to Just a Friend. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Tell me about the mm, mm, mm. What was, where, where did that come from? I think that was an accident. Because, like, um, Marley have um, the click track that start before the beat. Mm -hmm. So you're hearing the... And I'll just... Going along with the click track. Just, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's just. Yeah, just I wait. Mean, I just had the headphones on, wait for the beat to drop, and just said it. So the song just takes off, and then you uh, release your debut album, Long Live the Cane, which is an instant classic. What were your thoughts about that particular album and just the, the process of putting it together? And what were one of your f the favorite moments from recording that album? Well, with, with working on Long Live the Cane, it was like I had seen so much from, um, you know, what Biz was doing. Because Biz, he's coming to me like, you know, like, um, yo, that vapor's word, we got to make a song about that. But we need to talk about people that tried to dump on us and how they ended up catching the vapors. And, they, like, you know, I got, like, remember that story you told me about such and such? You should write about that. Yo, ask Vaughn about when he was working for um, Vogel's Record Store, at, you, know, you know, and stuff like that. So it was like the creativity, you know, like we, we, that he had, I was, like, trying to, like, really, you know, use that. And what I was doing to create my album is just that, you know, Biz like a bunch of funny and silly stuff. Yep. I was trying to make it uh, more serious, but, you know, use what I learned from Biz to really create an album. So first album just blows. I mean, it was just then now all of a sudden you're making money and you're touring. What was that like for you just going across the country and performing a kid from Brooklyn and you're very young and all of a sudden you're in all these cities and just doing shows and everybody knows your name? You know, back then... You come out with a hip-hop jam, and you're doing shows in New York, Jersey, Philly, yep. Connecticut. Yep. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Oh, oh, and L.A., because you had Greg Mack on right. K-Day yep. in L.A. But that was pretty much the extent of it, you know? Um, you wasn't really, really around the world like that. So coming out, you know, it was crazy. And you go overseas, and my mentality was what the people 
in those areas listen to. So I do my show the way I know to do it. And then you're talking to someone in England or someone in the Netherlands, Amsterdam, Amsterdam mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, um, why you didn't do Long Live the Cane? Huh? You know, it's like, you know, yeah. Oh, and young ladies like, um, you, know, you should have performed the day of my... And I'm like, y'all want to hear that? Yeah. And then you're talking to people and they're saying, so you're from Brooklyn, you and they know your whole history because they done read all the liner notes and found it. I'm like, wow. So like uh, next time I went overseas, you know, I had more songs in the repertoire, you know? Yeah. So there's always that weird period between your first and second album for, for any artist, especially when your first album is is great. And then you became sort of highly anticipated second album, What's It Gonna Be, Big Daddy Kane. Did you feel that pressure or were you just like, man, I'm going to I didn't feel any pressure. I actually felt better going in the studio to record my second album. Mm-hmm. Because that first album, you know, you just, you know, I'm just a kid from from the streets of Brooklyn. I can only talk about what I know, what I've seen in Brooklyn, or what I've seen in those particular cities that I've just mentioned, where you know new artists perform. That's all I've seen. You know, now I've traveled internationally. I've seen so much more. I um, have an understanding of what underground hip-hop fans like, what commercial hip-hop fans like. I have an understanding of what men like, what women like. I have an understanding of what, you know, Americans like, what Europeans like, um, what Asians like, you know? So it's a much much more international perspective that I have and more well-rounded with the whole thing. So I can talk about and address all of that on an album. So the album comes out and a de- another classic, and you have a little bit for, for for everybody. Then it's the big song with Smooth Operator, which again, talk about the creation of that one because we we wore that one out that summer. Smooth Operator, <laughs> Smooth Operator. Oh man, it's like you know, all night long was one of those anthems that you know. Drove everybody crazy, you know. I don't know how far y'all go back, but you know that come on. You can't. Oh, you just want to do the Smurf and whatnot. Close your eyes and just, you know, you know. It was just one of those jams. So I was like, I, I really want to use this. Right. I really want to use this. But I knew that, you know, it was a um, big song for the Mary Jane girls. So I called Rick James because I had just wrote something for him. And you were all sort of similar label situation, right? Because right. yeah, he was on Warner Brothers as yeah. well. So I called Rick James and asked him, could he help? By the way, he said he called Rick James. Like how, at, in that era, that's like, wow, you call Rick James? That's crazy. So I called him. I was like, yeah, I want to use all all night long um, for my um, new album. You know, I got a dope idea. And I was, you know, just want to make sure that it can get cleared. And he's like, use any of them bitches shit. You can use any of them bitches shit. You need to use at my house. That was the biggest song for them bitches. Like, no, nah, I'm going to stick with all night long. But thanks, Rick, man. You know, I'm like, you know. <laughs> right, right. He like, come on, come on, Daddy Kane. You know, you, you know how we do. Use any, use any of that, man. Rick, thanks, man. Rick Appreciate was a wild you, man. Dude, man. Yeah. So you know, he made it possible. You know, Rick made it possible that you know we can get the sample cleared and go through it, and yeah, the rest was history. Yeah, and then you had Mortal Kombat, and one of the songs that I, my personal favorite from that album was. That's Young my favorite verse too, by the way. Okay. Mortal All right. Kombat. Young, gifted, and black to me was like. One, I mean, we had Public Enemy at that time. They were doing their thing. But that particular record really resonated because you were like, you were sort of, you know, you were doing your thing as a hardcore rapper in, a, in the rap world. But you were making a statement 
on that song and it was just and it's just that that song I guys I get lost in it. I still listen to it to this day like thank you thank that, you that the way it's almost like you you're you're beating up the beat as you're rapping it. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just no, that's the way it felt when you rapped that song. I mean, you know, it meant a lot, and I felt like I covered so many issues that were going on at that time yes. period. You know, and then also having, you know, Minister Farrakhan voice at the top of the song. Yeah. You know, um, you know that was something, you know, new. And, you know, uh, a lot of people were scared to do it at that point in time. Yep. You know, so yeah, it meant to, and and it it was one of those one of those Philly bangers too, for sure. Set it off was number one, yes. But but, but Young Gifted and Black might yeah. have been number two. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. It was Set it off was like, man, bro. Yeah. First of all, you was just like, you were rapping so fast, but it was just a song like that. They're just so memorable, right? Like you just don't forget those songs. And I feel like, you know, we're on a joiner cruise and what's great about the cruise is a, a whole bunch of DJs from all over the country. And when you go to particular parties and they play certain songs like that, it just it just drives you. It's like it takes you back to where you were at that time and that energy and to be an artist that made those records and that folks were like moving to your stuff. That has to just be like even to this day, everywhere you go, set it's it off blow is my drive. Mind. Yeah. Set it off is my drive. That's the song that drives me. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 54 years old with arthritis in my back. So sometimes I'll be tired, yeah. you know, my, in a little pain. But, you know, by the time I get to, and this groove is what's next, yeah. man, I'm 19 again, man. Wow. For real. <laughs> and nothing else matters. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. you know, you know not, me and Dr. Gavankar can work this out tomorrow. Tonight, y'all got to have it. Y'all about to get it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. You know, for real. I mean, I, I always do that song early in the show because it gives me so much energy. I'm ready for, for war. Yeah. When, you know, and the funny thing about it is the whole concept of starting off with the Let It Roll Gippo before the beat drop was I was riding the car one day listening to Sex Machine. Okay. And I'm like, yo, I want to do something like this. Where I'm just, it's just mad energy before the beat even come on. Cause like when I'm hearing James, like, I wanna get into it. Moving, grooving, can I count it off? Can I count it off? I'm like, I wanna do something like this, but do it in a rap form. You know, that's right. what inspired me to start it that way. Right. You know, yeah. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So you have that, that particular song and that particular energy, and you kind of like Cold Chillin', you stepped away from Cold Chillin' at some point and, and signed a major deal with MCA, but at the time, it was a historic deal for, for a rapper to jettison from one of the, uh, the labels that they got started to a, a major. Talk about that moment for you, going to MCA. All that money wasn't even worth it. I should have kept my ass at Warner Brothers. Okay. Straight up, you know, because I mean, I felt like um, 
at least the people that want to, by then, had an understanding of Big Daddy Kane. Yep. And had an appreciation for hip-hop because they were real nervous dealing with Shan and Shantae, you know, because, you know, they was wilding. Right. Then dealing with me, it was the type of thing where they felt like, okay, he's real professional. Oh, wow, we can get him in Jet Magazine. We can get him in Essence Magazine. You know, like stuff that they're used to doing with their R&B and pop artists, they were able to do with me. Yep. You know, so I felt like they had a, 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 a better understanding of hip hop. When I went to MCA, it was a machine, man. So they dangled the big check, but there wasn't really much beyond that. Yeah, I mean, it was the type of thing where, you know, um, I can talk to you, give you the whole rundown of whatever it is that you're asking me. Okay, here, here it is. This is, okay, yeah, that's what this is. An hour later, someone from another department called me and asked me the same exact questions. I'm like, yo, you, you can't just. All right, you know, and yeah, it, it was just a machine. Yeah. So was it just a money play, or did you just did did, you, did Ty try to to salvage it or keep you on or offer you? Well, something? me and me and me and Ty at that particular time, me and Fly Ty was on bad terms. Yeah, we were on bad terms, and there was the the very special song with Spinderella. Yep, which um I felt like okay, I see the commercial potential. It needs to be a single, but afterwards we need to drop some street stuff it's like you know people looking at me you know as being too commercial right we need to drop some street stuff and they need a video and you know um, they refused to do it and that was my last album so i just said deuces okay. you know yeah. yeah yeah so one of the things that did happen out of that mca project was you did a posse record going sort of like going back to your early days with the symphony you create your own sort of version of the symphony and you introduce the world to Jay-Z to the world who was an up and coming rapper in Brooklyn, uh, just like Biggie who had already been out, but they were, they had looked up to you. You were sort of this iconic figure to them to this day. And you put this song out and you have ODB on it, who was Wu-Tang had just come out. Uh, Shaheem the Rugged Child, who was supposed to be the next uh, artist coming out. But talk a little bit about Show and Proof. Talk a little bit about that, that song and talk about how you opened up the door for all of these future voices in hip-hop. Well, at that particular time, we were recording demos for Jay-Z, trying to get him signed. And then it was just like, okay, it's not working. You just, you just need to be out there. Yeah. So let's get you on something. And, you know, Sauce was his man, you know, who, who else, you know, I was also trying to, you know, work with. But, you know, Jay-Z was the main focus. So um, it was like, okay, let's get Jay and Sauce on here. And Shaheem, his label, like, um, he came on, he came and did the Superfest with me. He performed, like, his label was like, yo, we would like for you to take him out with you. We'll pay the f- such and such. So I took Shaheem on the Budweiser Superfest with me. So we became good friends. You know, nice little kid, man. And um, I was like, well, let's try to, you know. Let's have him on it as well. And, you know, just try to, like, you know, as you said, like the symphony, another posse cut. And, you know, we put it together. And Jay-Z and Sauce, they they they, they cursed me out that day about <laughs> about a personal issue I'm not even going to get into. Okay. <laughs> and um, Old Dirty came staggering in the last minute with his crutches and dropped his verse. And, 
Yeah, I mean, we was you know, like everybody was excited, and DJ Premier produced the track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you obviously helped Jay Z early on. What do you think about what he's become as an artist and just as an entrepreneur? Did you see a little of that back then? Honestly, no. Back then, if you'd have said, "Yo, who you think gonna blow from the camp?" I would have said Source, because Source had the personality. Yeah. Jay was super quiet. Yeah, he just was a lyrical beast. You know, he was sarcastic, but, you know, he was he was mad quiet. So it's like to see what he has become and, you know, how he opened up and to hear him speak a lot of times and the things that he say and the jewels that he be dropping. I've, I'm like I'm like so proud of that dude. You know, yeah. I'm so like, you know, on, on like, you know, because, yeah, I mean, um, like next to L.L., I, um, I don't know who else has had that type of longevity yeah. in hip hop. You know, so I'm like so happy and proud of his career as an artist and just as proud of him as a businessman, you know, becoming a billionaire. Is he the first billionaire in hip hop? Sort of. I guess Dre, maybe Dre was first. In okay, Dre, okay, well, yeah. in him, but okay, well, yeah. It don't matter. It's all, listen, we got to yeah, celebrate. It's a billion dollars. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. from Brooklyn, right? Like, yeah. that's that's amazing. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, I'm real, I'm real, real happy and proud of the brother, man. Yeah. Well, you know, Kane, you, you are very humble about it, but you really were that first artist from Brooklyn that really just lit the light for Biggie and Jay Z because they've. You know, I remember interviewing Big early on and how much of an inspiration you were for him and the connection with the DJ, Mr. C, who was your DJ. And that's who connected us. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So you had all of that, all of that energy. Um, And then for Jay-Z, who mentioned you in a couple of his songs early on, but, you know, always looked at you as an inspiration. You know, we we have to give you your flowers because you're one of these pioneers that just really opened up the door and really made this thing we call hip-hop a real fun aspect of all of our lives and you know man kudos to you for that thank you thank you you know i'm gonna tell you around the time of um party and bullshit and dreams you know mr c he would always yo come on man you don't hear it i'm like nah i don't hear it wow and not i don't mean like i um i don't think biggie is dope he was trying to say you don't hear yourself in him i'm like Nah, I don't hear it. Come on, man. You listen. I'm like, I don't hear it. See, I don't hear it. I think I like him. I think he's dope. I just don't hear it. And then um, the remix to um, One More Chance came out. And then I called C. Yeah, you're right. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, he's a problem for real. For real. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I see it. Well, if it wasn't for Big Daddy Kane, we wouldn't have that energy. And I think as we celebrate 50 years of hip hop, we have to just, you know, make sure that we show love and support for artists like you that you really kicked in the door. And even though you, you know, it didn't really feel good for you to go into MCA, that changed the game for a lot of rappers that that kind of money that that uh, rappers were able to make started to change because of that deal that you had. So. It did get a little bit better, but also people believed in hip hop enough and started to pay you guys a little bit of your worth. They never, I never, I never think they've ever paid you all the worth of, of the money that you generate. But thank that was you, a that you. was a that was a moment. That kind of let me was let me just say this real quick. See, with my deal, it was publicly known. Yes, um, but a lot of people don't know this that you know I actually wasn't first. You know, Eric B and Rakim, they did a million dollar deal. 
You know what I'm saying? With MCA. Yeah, yeah with MCA. that's right. That is correct. You know, it just wasn't publicly known. That's true. You know, and Eric, you know, he, yeah, he was out there, you know, pushing the Rolls Royce back then. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, you I, much respect to Eric and Rye yeah. because they had done that before me, actually. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I didn't even know that, man. I, yeah, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, I remember yeah. they was on MCA, though. Yeah, That's yeah, wild. yeah. No, nah, yeah. they, they, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you know Eric, but he, he's a, he, yes, he's a, he's a serious businessman. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Eric B is a, is a, a, a serious, guy. serious businessman. And a good dude, too. Oh, man. yeah. That's yeah. what, like, l- let me, let me tell you what type of dude this is. Eric B is the type of dude where we'll be at my house. On a Thursday night, sitting in the back room laughing and joking about some of the silliest stuff on the planet. Friday night, we'll be backstage at the concert, backstage, and he'll smooth walk past me like he don't even see me. Because <laughs> he in his own. He in his own. He in his, his, his own. You know? But yeah, he he's a, he's a, he's a very smart, intelligent business mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a round of applause to the legend Big Daddy Kane. And thank you for joining the Backstory Podcast. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast, actress, singer, Janelle Monet. You know, as much as, you know, you love your, your small town and where you grow up, I just had a dream of going to New York. And I got to give a shout out to my teachers who wrote my letters of recommendation. They really invested in me and helped me get to my performing arts school. The Backstory Podcast with Kobe Kolb is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Kobe Kolb, edited by Donkus. Follow us on Twitter at BackstoryPCC, on Instagram, Get the Backstory. For sales and corporate partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast. <laughs>